Greetings, citizens. The Cavalier here, with another episode of Super Frenemies at the Movies. As TC says, there's quite a bit of news to get to, so let's get started. First off, I am glad you are alive and kicking, TC. You've avoided all of my other attempts at contact, so I don't know what has happened to you exactly, but at least you seem to be alive and conscious. And that's almost a good thing. Now if you would just stop cheering on Override. His pride has gotten him into enough of a mess this time, without Lust getting involved. And to Override, I say, thank you for returning Sid. I know you didn't precisely intend to steal him. He wouldn't have considered you a threat, and he would have tried to stay near the stolen equipment. Still, you kept him a long while, and that was unkind. As for the message you sent along with him, quit being a stubborn old man for once and listen. If I stop you the easy way, it will kill you. If I let you be, continuing to use that gear will kill you. I've already explained all of this. The best option is to help you stay alive. And that, well, there are many who consider that aiding and abetting. And it's not like you are willing to accept my help anyway. Your message made that clear. <sighs> so. Oh, TC. Shrike says hello. Well, his actual message is less family-friendly. To paraphrase the rest, he has only borrowed your laptop. Let's see here. Um, essentially, someone else wants it, he thinks. It was on some sort of list he found, and he's going to keep it until he finds out why. Anyway, and this is me talking now, if it really is just a laptop, don't go starting trouble to get it back. He's a little busy. Frankly, we all are. You'd think with Nightmare recaptured, life would get quieter. But instead, it seems the entire villain community has gone insane. <laughs> Some are even coming out of retirement to join the party. I haven't even had time for a good spa day since I got back from that dimensional prison. Which brings me to some listener problems. To begin with, no, I did not put a battery in my chest to be more like Tony Stark. That was simply where it wound up after my little fracas with Tropic Cyclone. Seriously, don't underestimate well-done water magic. And my last bit of advice for our listeners, quit reading the gossip rags. I was not caught canoodling with Crimson Firefly. Who even uses the word canoodle anyway? I don't... I shouldn't need to get into the whole story, so... <sighs> Basically, we've needed to work together. A lot and neither of us has liked it very much. The rest of the Victory Champions told us to, quote, work it out. Considering her wife's part of the team, it's not like we sneaked out. So, we tried to have a civil conversation over a cuppa and the best beignets in New Orleans. I don't know who confuses awkward laughter and uncomfortable silences with canoodling, but we weren't. We really, really weren't. So let's stop overreacting. Please. Anyway, time for some movie reviews. My first movie is called The Fantastic Four. There are at least three live-action movies that can claim that title, so let me be specific. This one is from 1994, and, as I understand it, was never officially released. I was having a bit of trouble finding the newer movie, which co-stars the actor that played Captain America. Fortunately, an anonymous listener provided me with a link to this rare gem. I would not be surprised if it was more entertaining than the higher-budget version. The link will be on our blog. 
Anyway, this Fantastic Four begins with a young man named Reed Richards sitting in a class in college. His professor is droning on about the speed of light and a radioactive, comet-like energy source called Colossus. As is tradition in any class boring enough for the incredibly smart, Reed is passing notes to his friend, Victor. Colossus is coming close to Earth, apparently, that night, and Reed and Victor are arguing about their machine for harnessing some of Colossus's energy. They continue their argument after class, and nothing really gets settled. Later that same day, Reed stops by the boarding house he lives at with his friend Ben. Ben is playing a video game with Johnny Storm, the youngest child of the woman who owns the boarding house. They are both having trouble beating the game, although due to different problems with their tactics. This turns out to be some very heavy-handed foreshadowing. Also, Sue Storm, the adolescent sister of Johnny, shows up and makes doe eyes at Reed, who barely even notices. Ben and Reed head out, and Ben promises to come back and take the children to see Colossus later that night. Cut to Ben and the children sitting in a park, watching the light show that is Colossus. And then cut to Reed and Victor, fiddling with dials and buttons on their equipment. Unsurprisingly, something goes wrong and Victor suffers horrible burns from the malfunctioning machine. Victor is rushed to the hospital, where Ben and Reed are told he died. Immediately after, we are shown that Victor is barely alive, and, for some reason, his home country's government has chosen to fake his death. Then cut immediately to a scene taking place ten years later. Richard has decided his Colossus machine failed because he was not close enough to the giant cloud of radioactive particles. He has privately funded and built his own spacecraft, which Ben is going to pilot, and which is carrying a more advanced version of the machine he thinks killed Victor. For unfathomable reasons, Richard has agreed to also take Sue and Johnny into the giant radioactive cloud. And here the plot takes a very unexpected turn. No, I don't mean the entire beta test works perfectly. Of course it doesn't. No, I am talking about the screenwriter's need to shoehorn in an entire second plot. It involves the world's largest fake diamond, a small gang of idiots living in the sewers, the world's largest fake of the world's largest fake diamond, possibly the most useless security system ever invented, a beautiful blind woman, and the fact that Ben is ashamed of his very visible mutation. And that's already too much to say about that subplot. Anyway, the foursome all miraculously survive, being irradiated by Colossus and crash-landing their space plane. They discover they have been mutated enough to gain incredible powers right before they are rescued by the United States government. Except they are not. They are actually rescued by people just wearing U.S. military uniforms. Because, you know, no one checks such things. These people work for a mysterious man in a power suit calling himself Doom. Doom has hatched a plan to steal their fantastic powers for himself. They figure this out and escape, right after they figure out that Doom is Reed's dead friend Victor. Doom chases after them. He decides the idiot sewer gang is annoying and kills them all. He also steals the world's largest fake diamond from them. Then, instead of trying to recapture the Fantastic Four, Victor goes back to his home country, where he builds a giant laser using the world's largest fake diamond. Then he calls the Fantastic Four up and tells them he's going to use the laser to destroy New York and waits for them to come to him. They do, he springs his trap, his trap doesn't work as well as he hoped. In a scene resembling the video game he couldn't beat earlier in the movie, Johnny outraces the laser beam, gets in front of it, and blows it up using fire. Now, I thought this movie, considering its impressively meager budget, was pretty entertaining. 
but I almost launched a DDoS attack on the website hosting this movie because of that final scene. So what did I learn from the Fantastic Four? 1. The fact that there are four lead heroes is a mere coincidence. The title actually refers to the dollar bills that magically funded this entire movie. 2. If you literally paint the hair on your temples white, everyone treats you like you're old and wise. Seriously, it's really obvious it's paint and not dye. But if you look like you're built out of cement oranges and never do anything but help people, yeah, even then, your best friend with the painted hair will make fun of how freakish you look. People in your universe must be depressingly shallow. And three, if I ever come across a radioactive, comet-like source of energy, it is probably sentient, and it will probably give me superpowers, based around literal examples of my character flaws. Because that's what radioactive, comet-like energy sources do. I guess. For my second movie, I found a movie I thought was going to be a little different. The title caught my eye, and it implied a bit of wacky comedy. I was... I was very misled. The movie is called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and it is from 2014. Tropic Cyclone, I'll see your complaints about magic ninjas and raise you four turtles and a rat. Mutated, of course. And young. Teenagers, I guess. Anyway, this movie is pretty much the exact opposite of the Fantastic Four movie. It seems whenever the filmmakers had any doubts about the script, they would spend an extra million dollars filming an expensive action scene, and hope it covers up the fact that the Turtles have at least two different origin stories, and there are a whole other bunch of plot mishaps besides. The movie starts with about five minutes of narration, explaining who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It then ignores all of this and begins and begins following young reporter April O'Neil. Her job is to do those fluff pieces on the latest fitness craze, but she seems but she dreams of doing hard-hitting exposés. Unfortunately, she's an idiot. In what we are led to believe is her spare time, April is investigating reports of high-tech thefts by a gang calling themselves the Foot Clan. We already know who the Foot Clan are, and that they are being opposed by the titular turtles. Because the magic voice at the beginning told us all of this. It pretty much summed up everything that we need to know for the next two hours of the movie. But that doesn't stop the movie from showing it to us in excruciating detail. So, April has a source she thinks is not telling her all she knows. So, April has a source she thinks is not telling her all he knows about the thefts in the Foot Clan. He is, and we in fact never see him again, but April won't let that stop her. She heads to his place of business in the middle of the night, presumably to ask him some more questions. Instead, she stumbles across the Foot Clan, 
conveniently robbing the place for a second time. One of the turtles is also conveniently there, and he beats the heck out of all of the thieves, all while staying in the shadows, so April cannot see what is going on, because ninja. Well, having witnessed nothing she can explain, and having absolutely zero proof, April heads back to her boss and asks to be able to air the story of super ninjas thwarting robberies by the Foot Clan. Her boss has a bit more sense and says no. Also, she fires April, because that is the sensible thing to do. Of course, that doesn't stop April from tracking down a good story. Or, more specifically, literally stumbling across another Foot Clan attack in progress, along with all four turtles emerging from the sewers to beat up those Foot Clan members, after which the turtles escape onto a building's roof, which is confusing, because the turtles live in the sewers, and they're trying to return to those sewers. Anyway, April follows the turtles onto the roof, and this time she's clever enough to take some pictures. Unfortunately, this means that she's spotted by the turtles, and they threaten to keep... and they threaten her to keep quiet. Apparently, these mutant turtles are afraid of New Yorkers. Apparently, these mutant turtles are afraid New Yorkers will not accept them. I guess they've never actually met New Yorkers. During the course of this conversation, April learns the turtles' names. After a couple scenes where April tells her cameraman all about the turtle-like alien creatures her dead scientist father used to experiment on, April goes to talk to her father's old lab partner. There, she asks him about the alien turtles. Then she just starts talking about them like they're ordinary turtles that were used for experiments. Almost as if the movie makers changed the script a couple of times, but went, Nah, we don't need to refilm these scenes discussing aliens. Well, in a surprise absolutely everyone saw coming, it turns out April's father's old lab partner was a member of the Foot Clan. In a plan that is too ludicrous, for even Tropic Cyclone to consider, the Foot Clan is going to release a toxic gas into the atmosphere. Then they're going to sell the clear. Then they're going to sell the cure, and become even more wealthy than they already are. And of course, the cure is in the turtles' blood. Because why would the scientist that mutated these turtles in the first place have any idea how he managed to do so? Well, I'm not really going to tell you anything that happens next. If you can't write a better script from that beginning, you really wouldn't understand what was happening anyway. Just make sure to include dozens of seizure-inducing and incomprehensible action scenes, and assume the sewers of New York are really very clean water slides that you can surf through to get absolutely anywhere. 
So, what can we learn from this unfunny collection of rejected scripts? 1. If you're a giant mutant rat with a grudge against a scientist and a book on ninjutsu, don't bother to confront him yourself. Raise a bunch of mutant turtles to be super ninjas. Go ahead, take about 18 years. Then tell them not to go after him. In fact, tell them to never ever go up to the surface. In fact, tell them to never go to the surface. Like rebellious teens throughout time, they'll go try to off him within an hour. 2. A diet of pizza and more pizza allows mutant turtles to grow up strong and healthy. Lucky mutant turtle ninjas. And three, I never, ever want to hear jokes about shell tightening again. Seriously, guys, that's, that's just gross. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Feel free to tune in next time, when TC will no doubt watch movies far, far better than these two. If you have missed any past episodes, you can find them on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Or you can go to our blog at superfrenemies.com. If you have any recommendations for what to watch next, or if you want to tell me who to destroy for creating the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you can contact me at thecavalier at superfrenemies.com. Or you can contact TC at tropiccyclone at superfrenemies.com. Stay good, citizens. And, until next time, I'm the Cavalier.